Welcome to Storehouse Dallas. Well, I want to welcome our online viewers today. Welcome to Storehouse. We appreciate you viewing online. Um, I also want to honor my family. My family's here today. My mom and dad, they're here. And then my husband, Rob, you know him. There he is. And daughter, Gracelyn. And then Jacob is back there in the booth. So those are my kids. Um, I love my parents. They run circles around me. If you think I'm intense, man, you should meet them. Um, but uh, yeah, if you, there they are, white-headed. Look, I'm going that way. I'm joining them with the white hair. Um, but yeah, pray and prophesy over them. If you see them and you get a word, let them have it. Like they're here. I want them to be refreshed today when they leave. Okay, so, well, hi. Um, the title of this message is called The Exchange today, and we're going to be looking at Revelation 3. Um, my goal today is to release faith for genuine repentance, which is the power of the gospel. I'm excited about it. Um, the Lord just started speaking to me about this back in July, um, so I'm excited to release this word. Um, one, I'm asking the Lord to change your perspective about repentance, um, and I'm asking the Lord to release a powerful grace in your life to walk it out for transformation, because that is truly the power of the gospel. Um, we're going to just get into it. Um, let's go ahead and look at 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 through 10. It's a little bit long, but I think it's kind of important. Um, David's saying about this today. Um, Joseph talked about this today. Tracy talked about this today. So the Holy Spirit is really speaking today about repentance. And um, man, that worship, golly. Do y'all do y'all know Kerrygold butter? Y'all aware of the butter? Uh, if you've never tasted Kerrygold, then you need to. But that worship was like eating Kerrygold. That was like, y'all eat butter? I eat butter. Y'all, I like eat butter. Have you ever tried it? I, I recommend it. Grass-fed butter. That worship, man, was like butter. Okay, uh, we got it. Okay, real quick, I want to introduce you myself if um, you're new to Storehouse. One of the things Rob and I do here at Storehouse is we uh, direct the prayer room. Um, so I want to invite you to our sets. There's a little card over there that tells you the times and dates of the sets. Um, that's what we love in this house. That's the, the hub of this wheel is the prayer room where you can come and sit before the Lord and his eyes of fire can just burn away everything um, in you that hinders love. And that's what we've been committed to do. And we've made a, 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 our stake in the ground here in Dallas on Alpha Road. And every day, incense is arising. And you got to participate today in that incense. I could just feel that stake in the ground being driven in Dallas today with that worship. Um, and it's in saying to the powers that be, you know, look, we're here and we're here to stay, you know. And so join in in the prayer sets every week, uh, day in, day out. That's what we do. So come participate. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 through 10. I'm reading out of the New King James today. It says, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, 
labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and the Holy Spirit. And in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake, and you became followers of us. Okay, so real quick before we move on, they preached the gospel And the power of God unlocked hearts, changed them, and people became followers, right? We're talking about the power of the gospel here. The power of the gospel is not just signs and wonders, folks, in charismania. The power of the gospel is the power of transformation in the inner man. That is the power that the gates of hell will not prevail against. That is the power of the Holy Spirit coming in and taking your life and changing you, right? That's the power that we're talking about. Here's what happened. It says, and you became followers of us, this is verse six, and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. Power, folks, power to stand in persecution, power to experience joy in the midst of persecution. There is great power in the cross in what Jesus did. And it has everything to do with you on the inside. So that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Guys, the gospel went forth it changed them on their inner man. They began to follow and they, they, they changed, they removed all idols from their life. Guys, an idol is something that becomes habitual. An idol is something that you're looking to, you're always going to, you're finding comfort in. It could be as far as an addiction, but when the gospel went forth, they put those away and they followed. There was a major power released in the releasing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're talking about today when we talk about repentance, because eventually we're going to end up at Revelation 3, and we're talking about the letters to the churches, right? We're talking about the power on the inside of you to transform your life so you don't look uh, the same a decade from now. You don't look the same a year from now. You're not the same person. That's what Jesus came to do, and that is the power that will withstand the, the, the regime of the Antichrist. That's the power of the gospel. Now, do signs and wonders come from that? Absolutely, they do. But the first thing that happens is the key of David, the key that unlocks your heart that no man can shut, the key that unlocks you. It's your oneness with him and that connection with him, right? And so that's where we're going. And this is an interesting place to be. This was a tough word, word to get. Uh, the Lord spoke this to me in July, but then we've lived life. We've lived a lot of life. This week, I feel like we've lived five years. <laughs> a lot happened. 
And I'm like thinking, okay, I'm going to give this word. I'm going to release this word to the folks. And like, it was hard to grab a hold of here, folks, because we've got a changing environment. But this right here does not change. Pressure has really changed our conversation with the Lord this year. Pressure will change your conversation with him. You don't talk to him like you used to because you're not thinking about the things that you used to be thinking about last January. You're thinking about different stuff. And in the last couple of like maybe a week and a half, the Lord keeps saying to me, I keep hearing him say to me, Lindsay, what did you go out to see? What did you go out to see? And when Jesus was saying that, he was saying that to people that were talking about John the Baptist. And he was saying to them, what did you go out to see? Did you want to see a man in fine clothing? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you expect to see? Because now you're offended. Your mind isn't really making sense with everything that's happening. What did you expect? And he said, you're not going to see that with John. You're not going to see that with John. You're going to see those people in the palace. You're going to see someone with John that is pointing the way. You're going to see someone in the wilderness. That's what you're going to go see. And then, then it even created new questions and conversations within John. Because John then gets in prison and he's saying, okay, pressure has hit him. And he's saying, send someone out there to see if that's really him. Can you send someone to him? Because I'm under pressure now and I'm, I'm a little, I want to make sure. So he starts asking, he's having the conversation and he sends some folks out to see Jesus. And Jesus says, Okay, basically he says, of course it's me. Yes, it's me. You're right. You know who you are. Why are you questioning this? The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame are walking. And blessed are you if you're unoffended right now because you're in prison. What did you expect? So that's where we are. He's saying to you, be unoffended. Be unoffended. You know who you are. The transformation on the inside is still alive and working. The gates of hell will not prevail against who I've made you on the inside. Christ in me, the hope of glory. You know who you are. Don't ask that. What I want you to do is begin to stand and get into that place of oneness with me that David was talking about today, the beginning and the end. The beginning and the end. He's the beginning and the end. So, again, last couple weeks, and I, I released this one, one time in a, in a worship service, maybe like two or three weeks ago. But the Lord was saying to me, you've got to get out of fly, fight or flight. Like, I can't. I can't unlock your heart when you're in this place of fear. You've got to get out of that place. And he said, I need you to return to me. I need you to remove all the props that came during the COVID, the comforts, the nurtures, the little things that you do to cope. I need you to return to your first love. 
And he said, you're abiding with me, but you're not really looking me in the eye. Because you're scared. But I need you to put all that aside and I need you to trust me. I need you to look at me. I need you to find yourself eyeball to eyeball with me. And I need you to let your, my eyes, the eyes of fire, do their work. Whenever the Lord says to me, return, it means repent. That's what return means, guys. <clears throat> if my people who are called by my name, that's, I mean, that's been resounding for the last year. If my people who are called by my name, it means repent. Return to your first love means repent. At least that's what it means for me, right? And this is a place where you lock eyeballs with him and he becomes the son of man. He becomes the son of man. This is the man that's going to ride in on a white horse on a day in history and he will shatter every kingdom. It's not like a metaphor. And he, he is doing that now. We're in phase one. Phase two will be him appearing, riding on a white horse, and killing the ten kings of the Federation with the, the sword of his mouth. Right? On a day in history, this is going to happen. But right now, he's saying, I need you to look me, the son of man, in the eye. And I need to be the one that appeared before Daniel. I need to be the one that appeared before Joshua. I need to be the one that was in the fire with the Hebrew children. I don't change. I need to be the one that doesn't change for you. Right? He's Emmanuel, God with us. In 2009, I sat in the prayer room at Tracy's house at Winterwood. And I think I was like 29. And I sat there. And it's like, what are you doing in that prayer room? Where you're not doing anything. You're letting him look at you. And you're fellowshipping with him. Loneliness left in that prayer room. I, I did not feel lonely after that, that summer. I was never lonely. Self-hatred left in that prayer room. I did not hate myself anymore. It's weird when you hate yourself deep down. It's real hard to move forward when you hate yourself. You don't like the way you're made. You wish you looked different. You're comparing yourself with everyone. You can't move forward like that. The Lord has to remove self-hatred. How does he do that? He looks at you. Those things left. I don't feel alone. He's Emmanuel. He's God with you. In your mind, you have to know that there is someone there. He is a man. He's with you in the car. He's with you in your house. He's with you everywhere you go. He's the son of man. 
So if I can say anything, especially about this prayer room, that's why we're here. Is so that you can look eyeball to eyeball with the Son of Man. And that's it. This is how you catch the train of the bride. You're the bride. This is how you put on the dress. This is how you prepare. And it's that John 17 oneness with him. It's that place in Genesis 1 where the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit were in fellowship. And it says, let us, let us make man in our image. Not just to look like him, but to fellowship with them. To be a part of that kind of fellowship. To be a part of that oneness. You may be like, well, that seems real nebulous. That seems kind of like a, at least a metaphor at best. You know, like that doesn't seem real. How could I fellowship with the Godhead? It's by the Spirit. How do I know it's true? Jesus prayed it. His last high priestly prayer before he went to the cross, John 17, he said that they may be one. As you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may, be, they may be one in us. That's the us from Genesis 1. That's the us of the Godhead. That's the us of fellowship. Jesus prayed that you would be one with him. That the world may believe that you sent me. That's how you do evangelism. You become one in that place of fellowship with Jesus. You become one. You let him gaze on you. You let those eyes of fire gaze on you. And that oneness goes out and the glory of the Lord goes out. And it says, they'll know that I was a sent one when you look like that. It's the desire of, of Jesus. It's the desire of his heart that we come into that place of fellowship, that we know him as the son of man. It's in his heart. Think about that. Does Jesus get his prayer answered? Yes, he does. He gets his prayer answered. The best kind of prayer is answered prayer. Jesus gets his prayer answered. He's going to have his inheritance. Right? So let's talk about repentance real quick. John the Baptist declared in Luke chapter 3, verse 8, it says, Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Right? It says fruits worthy of repentance. This isn't talking about, oh, am I worthy to receive the blood of Jesus? You are definitely worthy. He died for you. That's why he did it. This part of the scripture, worthy of repentance, means suited for, fitted for, genuine repentance. Worthy meaning you, in order to be a disciple of Christ, you've got to have genuine repentance, 
right? You can't run around doing all the things and say you're a disciple of Christ. You're not worthy to be a part of that. He is holy. You can't do that. If you're going to be a disciple of Christ, you've got to make a 180 from what you were doing and say, I'm going this way. And that power of the gospel has to hit your spirit and transform you on the inside from the inside out. You, you are unworthy if you say you're a believer and you are saying you're sorry, but then you go and repeat the things over and over and again and again and again. And in 10 years, we're still having the same conversations. Right? Be worthy, be fitted for this as like an honor that I'm a part of this brotherhood, the firstborn of many brothers. That's the brotherhood that we're a part of. Right? They waited for him in the upper room. Those brothers waited for him. And the Holy Spirit came and put the fire on their head. Those were the brothers, those acts to brotherhood. Right? That's where if someone was lying, they fell dead right? Be worthy of this, right? So the fruit of your life should look like repentance. And weirdly, um, it's like in our culture, we have this fear of repentance. Like it's um, like the worst thing ever. If you're repenting, like don't talk about it. I don't know what it is, but what it, one of the things, there's two things that it is. One thing is pride, and the other thing is there's so much accusation in the earth right now that if you actually admit that you're having an issue, the level of accusation that comes against you is just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And so what we do is we don't want to admit anything because we don't want any accusation. And so what we do is we create some kind of alternate reality where everything we do is right. It's right. Well, I'm right. I'm absolutely right because I don't want any accusation from you or anyone else that like doesn't know me but uh, is a follower on social media. Right? It's like this weird thing. Repentance should not be weird. Repentance should be daily. Right? <clears throat> and you got to ask yourself, this thing, because you've been living in it. I'm sure if you're a believer, you've repented at some point, right? But you've got to ask yourself, do I believe in the power of repentance? Like, ask yourself, self, do I believe in the power of repentance? Let's think about it. It's the power of the gospel if you believed in the power of repentance to transform your life, then you would repent all the time. There's, you got to think about this. There is some unbelief in the church about the power of repentance. We don't think it works. We can repent for that today. Because when true repentance, the power of the Holy Spirit hits your inner man and you have true repentance, the thing stops. It stops. You don't, it might be a little bit gradual, kind of like a slow drip, but you begin to not desire the thing that you were doing. You begin to see yourself in the mirror and be like, yeah, that's real bad. That's ugly. That is rough right there. That attitude needs to go. 
right? Like the power of the gospel. Do you believe it? You got to ask yourself this. And the other thing is, for some reason, we don't like self-denial. We think that Jesus has so much grace that he just takes the things away, and sometimes they do, right? Loneliness, I don't know when it left. It just was gone. I wasn't lonely anymore, right? But there are things in my life that didn't just disappear. I had to deny myself, take up my cross to do the things, right? So Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ right? There is a level of self-denial in this place of faith. Be found worthy of repentance, right? Be fitted for it, right? You don't, some things just don't happen right there. He wants you to flex the muscle, right? You've heard of willful sin, right? You heard of it? (laughs) That's when you're doing something you know is wrong, You're doing it, and you continue. That's willful sin. You're about to do something, you thought it through. You know it's wrong, you continue. That's called willful sin. That's a special kind of repentance, because that has to do with something a little deeper. Right? Willful sin. Why is that there? Because you have free will. Jesus is not going to make you love him. You have to choose. But get this, it says resist the devil and he will flee. Right? Any trainers out there, work, worker outers? That's me. If you, if you resist, do some resistance training, you're going to get some muscle. Right? The scripture says, resist the devil and he will flee. When you are having a willful sin situation, you need to resist. You might have to resist a few times, but then he's going to flee because the word doesn't return void. Christ in you, remember? Right? Okay. Cycles of sin, guys, can really cause you to hate your life. It can put a damper on a lot of things moving forward. But one thing you need to come to grips with right now is that you have the life you want. You have the life you want. If you didn't want that life, you would stop choosing it. And you would accept the power of the gospel on the inside to transform you. Right? It's the truth. Even deliverance. Anybody been delivered? I've been delivered a few times. You got to have an act of your will if you want to get delivered sometimes. It's got to be a yes, Lord. Please take this. Right? So we've got to put some faith and power behind the thoughts and the actions every single day. Bear fruit of repentance every single day. 
right? So let's talk about this real quick. I got five minutes. This is going to be interesting. All right, we're getting down to it, but it's going to be good. Okay, so I had a real problem. You know, Jesus, the Son of Man, he walks among the lampstands. He's walking among the lampstands, all the seven churches. You got the the letters to the churches in Asia, Revelation 2 and 3. Jesus walks among those lampstands. That's us. That's the church. He walks among us, right? He's the Son of Man. He loves us. He's walking among us. Now, I had a real hard time reading those, those two chapters for like probably my whole life. A really, really hard time because it convicted me so much as a believer and I felt like I could not, didn't matter what I did, I felt like it seemed to be unachievable. Have you ever read it? I encourage you this week to read Revelation 2 and 3, the letters to the seven churches in Asia. Jesus walks among the churches, the Son of Man. He's the one. He's the one who walks in here. And he is saying these things. And at the end of every letter, he says, he who has an ear, let him hear. Not he who has a Facebook, read that. Not he who has an Instagram, read that. Or not he who has a neighbor, ask them what they think. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear. You have ears, folks. I'm serious about this point. Listen, you have ears. You have your own ears. You have your own spirit that bears witness with the spirit of God that has known you since the foundation of the world. He knows you. He knows your life. You have ears. Listen. Let him hear, it says, seven times to seven churches. And that means us. So I kept hearing, I'm reading Revelation 3, like, and I'm like, Having this deep feeling like the problem with this is, Lord, I feel like I can't do it. Because Revelation 3, 14 through 22 says this. Can you put it up there? And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write these things, says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. One way to go about reading this is to pay attention to who Jesus is at the front of every letter. It'll give you a key to unlock his character, and it will give you a a key to realize what he's trying to say. It says he's the beginning of the creation of God. We already talked about Genesis 1 today. Let us make man in our image. He's saying to you, there's oneness that we can achieve here. If you have ears, I'm telling you, I want to be one with you. I made you. It says, I know your deeds, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Because you say I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so you can be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and I salve to anoint your eyes so that you can see. I had issue with this for like a good 30 years. 
I was so afraid of being lukewarm and that I could never be hot enough. I didn't think that I could get to what he's saying. I definitely was thinking that I was naked, poor, and wretched. Wretched means you're hurting, like you are like in a, in a rough spot, right? And I definitely knew that. But so I'm reading this, and this is in July. The Lord said to me, I'm not the accuser of the brethren. I'm just sitting here reading this, and that's what I hear. I'm not the accuser of the brethren. And he's saying to me, listen, Lindsay, listen. You're reading this, and you're hearing Satan. Listen, you're hearing that accusation. Why are you hearing that? You're listening to another voice as you read this, and it seems unattainable, but I'm not the accuser of the brethren. He's saying, I want to be one with you. This is absolutely attainable because of the power on the inside of you. So I started to think about this, and I was like, wow, I have really been hearing the lie of the enemy for some years. I really was reading this with accusation in my ears. And the Lord was like, remove that accusation. If it's not me accusing you, then who is? It's the enemy with a big old fat lie that says, this is not attainable. How do you think I'm going to get my end time church ready? There's no way they'll be ready. Enemy saying, this is not attainable. This bar is too high. You've tried to be on fire your whole life. Do you think it's going to happen? You go lukewarm, hot, cold, lukewarm, hot, cold. The enemy just pounding me, pounding me every time I would read these letters. These are the most important letters to us in this hour, guys. But if, our church, if the church only hears accusation from the enemy when they read it, they feel it's not attainable. But guess what? I start to read it then with the eyes of, of the Son of Man there. The one who loves me. The one who says, my delight is in you. <clears throat> my delight is in you. So then all of a sudden... I heard the Holy Spirit say, don't you know it's an exchange? Don't you know? Can you see me standing there? Don't you know? If you bring me your poverty, your nakedness, and your wretchedness, I will exchange that. I will exchange it for something new. And you will see that if you look with the right eyes about my character, that I'm not accusing you all day and every day, but that I'm here to partner and you can bring me absolutely anything. The worst sin that you can imagine, the worst attitude, the worst negativity, the worst anything that you think is so bad, and I can exchange it. Guys, repentance is the beginning of intimacy. It's the beginning. It's the very beginning. When you go and take the things to him, 
He exchanges it, and it says, to those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Zeal. Zeal. Zeal looks like repentance. Fiery, red-hot love looks like repentance. That's what being on fire looks like, a ready repenter. (laughs) You're readily repenting. Right? So it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will dine with him and he with me. So clearly, I was reading these seven letters wrong the whole time. Clearly, this is an invitation, not an accusation. Clearly, this is an invitation to the marriage supper. This is an invitation to come and dine with him. I was really missing out, guys, because of that accusation. I was really missing out on the ability to be one with Jesus because I was thinking that it was not attainable. But when I looked at this scripture with the eyes of a lover saying, I am inviting you to dinner, every letter right there, every seven, all the seven letters are a big dinner invitation that says, if you will give me these things, I will give you back the kingdom, right? It says, look, look, he who overcomes, verse 21, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne. So wait, let me get this straight. I can can either hold on to my terrible attitude, my habitual sin, my little comforts, my idols, my uh, bad attitude, my fear, all the things. I can hold on to those or I can exchange them to Jesus. He, we fellowship, meaning, what does fellowship mean? It means, let's talk about it. You, You can take it to him and let's talk about it. What does he have to say about that issue? What does he have to say about every time you see that person, you're triggered? What does he have to say about, I don't know, any, anything? Yeah. You bring it to him, you dialogue with him. That's, that's the dining part. It says, if anyone, I stand at the door and knock, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door. To the heart, guys, to the heart. Open the door to your heart. And talk to him about the things in there. And he will come in and he will dine with you. He will fellowship with you about that thing. Doesn't matter what it is. He will exchange it and the power of the gospel will be released for transformation. And when I come back to you in a month, the same conversation we had about this, that, and the other... That's gone. I don't care if it's as simple as I'm late everywhere I go. I'm late to work. I'm late to... Guys, that's a sin. It says be, on the, be there at 8. You, you roll in at 8.10. Right? That's not a like character trait. The Holy Spirit's going to convict you right now. 
Some of y'all have an entitlement issue with being late. How do I, why am I speaking to this? I had it. Dude, I, I used to get tickets like crazy. Why? Because I was always late. Why? Because I was doing my selfish thing that I wanted to do right before I was supposed to be somewhere. So I could selfishly impose my time on somebody else. Selfishness. That's what that boils down to. That's the repentance I'm talking about, guys. That's what I'm talking about. You go to Jesus. You let him look at you with the eyes of fire. You say to him, Jesus, I have a a lateness issue. I need help. Like, it's clearly an issue. I need your help. Like, what do you have to say about this? I'm tired of the third ticket I've gotten this week. I'm tired of like, you know, that which leads to overspending, which leads to all these other things. Like you're just clearly out of alignment, right? And he says to me, Lindsay, this is important to me. He has something to say about it, right? And then I exchange that to him. And what does he give me? He who overcomes, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. He gives me authority. Probably one of the reasons my students were late to class every day is because I was late. Probably one of the reasons I couldn't get A, B, and C to do anything is because I was late, because I had no authority, because I wasn't moving and unlocking any doors. I can either keep my junk or I can give it to him, and guess what? I can sit on his throne with him. This is like a real reality. This is a real thing. It's real. Hit yourself. Like, it's real. Like, seriously. Sometimes you got to hit yourself. Because some realities floating around here are just not true. Is anyone at your door? Nobody's at your door. Declare the word. Ain't nobody at your door. Get off of Facebook and declare the word in real time to real people. No one's at your door. (laughs) Well, here's the deal. And by that, I mean, there's a fear that comes to you that's like someone's going to come get you. Someone's going to come get you. You say this, wow, that's really, whoa, that's out there. Someone's going to be real offended. They're going to come get you. You can picture it. You picture yourself being dragged out of your house? I have. No one's at your door. No one's at my door. Right? The power of the the power of the gospel. Transformation. I let's stand. There is power being released for this community today. To see Jesus rightly, it says he will exchange our stuff for wealth, gold refined in fire. He will give us righteous robes. 
He will give us eye salve to see correctly. There is an exchange that the Lord wants to do through repentance in your life. There is so much more that we can access if we will give him our stuff and if we will dialogue with him about the stuff. He will bring so much change to your life that you will be so different a year from now, a month from now. You will have what First Thessalonians says, followers. You will have people uh, laying down their, their cigarettes. You'll have people laying down their um, addictions or pornography. They, they had to see it. How did, how did they know it was true? People were bringing their little idols to them. You'll have people at work coming to you saying like, I, I don't want this computer screen anymore. I need some help. The power of the gospel, guys, it's in you. God wants to release it even more. And faith for true repentance, worthy repentance. That's what we need as a nation, worthy repentance. Right? Well, Lord, here we are.